Hello, it's David Shirley from Irish Funds. So we return to the keynote addresses from the Irish Funds online annual conference for this episode, where we feature Derval Rowland, who is Director General of Financial Conduct at the Central Bank of Ireland. Hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to check back soon for more great content. Good afternoon, and thank you for inviting me to speak to you today. I recall last year this event took place very successfully, but in a virtual environment. And I want to congratulate Irish Funds for again delivering an excellent virtual conference and assembling a really interesting array of speakers and panelists. This time last year, we were just embarking on the very uncertain journey, which the COVID-19 pandemic was mapping out for us. And today, whilst I think we can look forward with hope, I think we should also pause to remember the suffering of the very many members of our global community and the ongoing challenges arising from the pandemic. COVID-19 has had a very significant impact on the global economy and of course by extension on the financial system. And there's been substantial interventions from the ECB, global central banks and other policy makers which were required to protect the economy and to preserve the integrity of the financial system. And I think on the evidence so far, the system on a whole has proved to be resilient. That being said, fragilities have been identified in certain sectors of the funds industry, which need to be addressed. These concerns have given rise to international work streams on money market funds and liquidity management, and are all well underway, because it's important to ensure that we seek to prevent behaviours that could contribute to stresses in the system. And before we look forward, I'd like to go back a little bit further before COVID-19 to a time that may seem to many, I'm sure, like a lifetime ago. The period of the great financial crisis has seen and continues to see um, the significant changes in the structures and functioning of the financial system. These changes reflect not just the lessons learned from that crisis and the many subsequent regulatory reforms that have been made since then, but also reflect the ongoing societal and technological developments that are happening at pace. For the fund sector, these changes have been and continue to be significant. And we continue to see, for example, the increasing proportion of investment and funding carried out through investment funds. And we see the very significant role of the investment management sector in the transition to a sustainable economy. And of course, we know that the rapid pace of technological change has important consequences for the sector. The title of this year's conference, Accelerating Transformation, I think captures the essence of that change and points to the challenges and the possibilities. And of course, it's true for the fund sector that you are facing significant change. It's also true for us as a regulatory authority. We are responsible for the oversight of a large part of the European and international fund sector, and we have to have very close regard to this continuing and ever-evolving context. Our regulatory objective is a resilient, fair and trustworthy financial system, which sustainably serves the needs of the economy and the citizens of Ireland and the EU. Now, this means that we are keen to see the fund sector fulfil its potential as a means of investment and funding in the European and Irish economies. But at the same time, we want to ensure that the fund sector remains resilient, that its functioning is strongly in line with the principles of fairness and primacy of investors' interests, and that overall 
it's in line with the effective and sustainable functioning of the economy. So that approach is currently reflected in our existing strategic plan, and no doubt will also be at the heart of the next one, which we're currently developing. A little over a year ago, the financial system underwent a significant real life stress. With the onset of COVID-19, the system was faced with the dual challenge of grappling with the impact of the pandemic on the global economy, the markets and the financial system itself, while at the same time also adjusting to the vast majority of the financial firm staff suddenly having to work from home. And there was real challenge to the firm's resilience and flexibility. And in general, and I think on a widespread basis, the system and individual firms passed this working from home test very convincingly. And that's something for which I think we should take reassurance and respect of all of us and our staff. I think we should take some pride. And I know that we are grateful to our own staff for the enormous efforts they have put in in the past period. And I'm sure you feel the same of yours. So I think it reminds us that the pandemic has demonstrated the deeply human qualities underpinning all that we do. Now, the second test related to the significant turbulence that emerged in the financial markets, and it certainly impacted the fund sector. And here the results were not so positive, although more negative impacts on the economy were definitely averted as a result of significant interventions of central banks worldwide. We observed in advance of those interventions there were redemption stresses in money market funds and in less liquid open-ended funds, consistent with first mover dynamics. While other factors were also at play, such as margin requirements, the overall implication is that under stress, these parts of the fund sector did not play a role in absorbing shocks, but rather in transmitting or amplifying the stresses. And for those reasons, amongst others, money market funds and liquidity management practices in the fund sector are currently under consideration. And the central bank is actively participating in work underway at the FSB and IOSCO on these topics. And it's worth calling out specifically our involvement in the Financial Stability Engagement Group, or FSEG, established by IOSCO late last year. This group is now looking at the implications of the COVID-19 pandemic for financial stability and will interact with key stakeholders and in particular, the Financial Stability Board. So what has become clear from COVID-19 and the experiences is the need to develop and operationalize a macroprudential framework for investment funds. And our view on this is well known and well articulated. We have advocated for a general framework as well as part of a European framework, and we have said that again in our reply to the European Commission's consultation on the AIFMD review. The absence of such a framework for investment funds remains, in our view, a key omission in the European regulatory toolkit. And domestically, we recognise that the environment for macroprudential policy is constantly evolving. And that's why this year and next, we're carrying out a framework review across the three pillars of our macroprudential regime. The mortgage measures, the banking capital regime, and the market-based finance. In the latter area, this includes measures such as leverage limits and options to limit liquidity mismatches in order to strengthen the fund sector overall resilience to potential future shocks. So considering the events of last year, the scale of the sector in Ireland, and the continued uncertainty we face, we think developing a comprehensive macroprudential framework for the non-bank sector 
remains an important priority. I also want to touch on our expectations of the Irish fund sector. We have already spoken in the past of the importance that we attach to ensuring that the fund sector meets the high expectations as a centre of EU investment and funding. And in many respects, this objective is, of course, already being met. But there's room for improvement, having regard to where weaknesses have been identified and also where ongoing improvement will ensure that the sector will continue to serve the best interests of investors and support a continually evolving economy. The central bank has had a long-standing approach of closely scrutinizing applications for authorization, in particular for those funds designed for retail investors. This authorization process has evolved over time, responding to emerging risks, product innovations and trends in the market, as well as operational capabilities. Now, in the latter part of 2019, we introduced and communicated a process whereby certain funds might be subject to enhanced scrutiny. And this approach involves providing sufficient information to permit the central bank to make an informed judgment in relation to the applications. We seek to identify aspects of potential harm, and this could be either to investors or could have a systemic risk consideration arising from, for example, liquidity and leverage. Our approach is reflected in the application of the higher level of scrutiny and challenge that these applications experience. In the context of fund service providers, you'll be familiar with the in-depth thematic review of fund management companies, which we conducted in the recent past. And this represents an assessment of how the sector met the high standards expected of fund management companies in terms of governance, effective management, and substantive oversight and control. The end of quarter one will see fund management companies having agreed at board level a remedial action plan which reflects their assessments of their operations against expectations. Of course, agreeing those plans is the first step. Fund management companies must execute these plans and the changes must result in fund management companies which are organised in a way to meet the clear expectations of the central bank. Expectations that, I might add, are consistent with the evolving European regulatory landscape. In the context of liquidity, ESMA's recent findings from its Common Supervisory Action, or CSA, has shown that there remains scope for improving liquidity management practices, and the central bank's own findings align with those of other EU and EEA national competent authorities. And yesterday, the central bank issued a letter to use its management uh, companies, which outlined the actions now required of all Irish usage managers on foot of the CSA findings. This includes the need to review liquidity risk management frameworks and to take actions necessary to address those findings. I want to touch on areas that now uh, complement what I've been speaking about, governance, oversight and risk management, because all of these rely on strong cultures and effective decision-making in firms. And we think Achieving these requires diversity at senior management and board level. Diversity is connected with risk resilience and financial performance, and it continues to be an area of priority for us. We recently published data on gender diversity and pre-approval control functions in the financial sector. And I recognize that diversity goes far beyond the number of women in the workplace or in leadership roles. 
but by focusing on gender in part uh, because the data is available, but also because we know that looking at gender diversity tells us even anecdotally much about other facets of diversity. And the results have shown us a pronounced gender imbalance at decision-making level. Men hold more than 85% of PCF roles within insurance, banking, and asset management. We think the ability to achieve a good balance in terms of a firm's diversity rests with the board. Firms must embrace diversity, not because of the label and what it might attract, but because of the meaningful, significant and tangible benefits that differences of all types will bring. Different life experiences uh, will support uh, better thinking, combat groupthink and unconscious bias. And at a fundamental level, will meaningfully contribute to risk reduction and in identifying potential opportunities and emerging risks. Through its senior appointments, a board will shape or reshape a firm's culture. And connected to the issue of culture and risk management is environmental, social and governance issues, which are another core strategic priority for the central bank. I noted earlier that we see a really significant role from the investment management sector in the transition to a sustainable economy. And we expect all industry participants to move forward to ensure compliance with the various new sustainability requirements. For authorization, funds must now be compliant with the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation Level 1 transparency requirements. And the ambitious timeline set out in SFDR Level 2 in the climate-related taxonomy product disclosures and the expected October 2022 application date for related amendments to the USITS Directive and the AIFMD are all challenging. However, if properly implemented, the new rules will discourage greenwashing and protect consumers in this dynamic and fast evolving market. It's important to know that the outcome will represent the direction of capital towards more sustainable investments, and that will be to the benefit of all. This brings me now to a related topic, which is stakeholder engagement and how the central bank undertakes engagement. The framework for interaction between regulatory authorities is very well established and coordinated at a European and international level. But we're very conscious that we engage much wider than with our peers or indeed with the firms we regulate. So while the central bank engages regularly, with a wide range of relevant stakeholders, we do see opportunities to improve. And that's why over the last 18 months, we've been reviewing our stakeholder engagement to try to identify best practice and gaps in our areas. And we've just concluded a consultation on four key areas. Firstly, to build on existing engagement with consumers and users of the financial services sectors with a view to enhancing mutual understanding of cross-sector issues across the financial system. Secondly, to hold a senior level cross-sectoral industry stakeholder forum to bring together key financial sector industry stakeholders with senior people from the central bank to help us understand the issue faced by businesses and households in the economy. Thirdly, to hold a public financial system conference in 2022 in order to provide an opportunity for the central bank to engage with industry civil society, consumer and business representatives at the same time. 
and to enhance our engagement with businesses and real economy representatives. These engagements would enable stakeholders to raise issues relating to how financial regulation and the broader financial system operates, including matters relating to the development of policy. They will not replace current engagements, but they will enhance the existing interactions taking place between the bank and stakeholders. I believe that we can look forward with positivity to the opening of our economy and our lives following an extremely challenging period. And I think we should approach this with a strategic outlook and with appreciation of the positive elements from the last year, such as our very talented and committed people and the greater and empowering use of technology to facilitate our work practices. I think working together, we can create the right environment to promote a resilient and trustworthy financial system in which firms and individuals adhere to a culture of fairness and high standards, which sustainably serves the needs of the economy and our fellow citizens. Thank you for your time today.